Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC, featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations, because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Show. All right, let's talk about the Brian Burns situation. Yes, it's ongoing. We actually have some updates from Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL analysts, writing about some of the main topics in the National Football League, like Aaron Rodgers, whether the Jets are going to be searching for a new quarterback after his Achilles injury, and they have a topic about what's the latest on the Burns situation and what could his contract look like after the Nick Bosa deal. Here's what Jeremy Fowler writes. After months of talking, the Panthers and Burns never got close on a new deal before week one. Fowler sense is Burns clearly frustrated is now focused on putting up a banner season and worrying about his contract or even a new destination next spring. That's not to say the Panthers can't double back and try to renegotiate in this season, but both sides probably need a cooling off period at this point. Burns is set to become a free agent in March unless Carolina franchise tags him. This one is still puzzling. Burns is an elite talent, and it feels like it should have been done already. Graziano talked about how Burns is a good candidate to have the franchise tag placed on him next season. My question is, Wes, does this thing continue to get uglier and uglier and uglier as we go on? Or are we going to have a pause so things become stagnant? We don't have a ton of conversation about it this season because Carolina... Brian Burns, both parties just don't really negotiate as the season is going on. And then we have a real it's it's like every day next offseason. I mean, is this is that how it's going to work? Or do you think there's any way that they actually get something done before the end of the regular year? Um, At this point, I feel like that we could be heading towards a uh, franchise tag situation, because I think that if he continues to play not necessarily at the pace he's playing now. That's not to say he's going to have 25 sacks or whatever the case may be. But if he does have a tremendous season this year, the price is going to go up. And then you're going to get even closer to that money that Nick Bosa got that you probably don't want to pay right now. It's going to keep getting closer and closer towards that. So I think it's going to take a franchise tag and then down the line, maybe perhaps a trade because if you don't want to pay him now with the price being on the lower end, then I don't know what you do if this guy has, if we're sitting there midseason and he's got nine or ten sacks, uh, eight, nine, ten games into the season, you're going to have to pay him close to Bosa money. There's, there'll be no question about it at that point. All right, so Graziano in his last paragraph wrote this. As for what the deal could look like, I doubt he gets Nick Bosa money, $34 million on per average, but he can maybe land something in the Joey Bosa neighborhood at 29.2. And there could be something in the 27, 28 million year per range in lines of, in, in the same line with guys like TJ Watt, and miles Garrett. And that one makes sense. So look, it's been, I don't, it's been frustrating for me, Wes. Like sometimes what, what happens is we say, well, maybe he's worth 27 and a half. Ah, maybe he's worth 24 and a half. Like that stuff kind of gets lost. I I don't think it's great radio, but for me, th- this is ultimately what it comes down to. If the report is true 
that Brian Burns was seeking 28 to $30 million, right? Let's go with 30 because I think Joe, if I'm not mistaken, when I heard the Mac and Bone show, they were talking about Joe Person reporting that Burns was asking for $30 million before the season. David Newton had it at about 28. Apparently, the Panthers were offering somewhere between 23 and 24. We could throw a bunch of numbers at you, right? Mm-hmm. $6 million is a pretty big difference. When you're talking about multiple guys passing you on the list of highest paid edge rushers, if you go down from 28 to like 23, now you're talking about multiple guys passing you. To me, Wes, this is why it falls on the Panthers, because I have to imagine that Brian Burns and his party would have compromised at some level just to tick south of 30 million at something like 28, 29. I have to imagine that. Maybe I'm wrong. But if Carolina wasn't willing to go up to that range, then to me it seems short-sighted. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be a lot of people that write on the text line or put something out there on Twitter. He hasn't given us elite production. I know Jack was just writing that. And he's not alone. A lot of people are saying hasn't given us elite production at that level. Okay. You are paying for what his ceiling could be in the future. And it's Correct. a risk. It's a risk. I'm not doubting that. But if you're Carolina, then you know how this thing works. If you have somebody as talented as Brian Burns is, then to me, okay, we'll give you something a little south of $30 million, but we're not going to dig our feet into the ground and say we're staying right here below twenty-five. Because to me, I never thought Burns is going to agree to something 25 or below a year. So Carolina needs to go up there a little bit. And I think you probably just, and something that makes sense to me, you probably could have avoided $30 million per year but if this thing continues on, Wes, now the other risk here is allowing Burns to play. He goes out there. He doesn't get hurt. He goes for like 18 sacks, maybe even 15, something where you can feel his impact every single game, just like it happened in week one. And now you're talking about him delivering on this impact. And now Michael Parsons is extension eligible. So he's going to surpass Nick Bosa money because that's how this thing works. And instead of just taking care of, uh, instead of giving them a little bit more, on, uh, more money on the front end and dodging this ugly process, it, instead of doing that, now it gets even uglier. It, if Burns was contemplating not playing this year, not on the franchise tag, then do you think Burns is going to play on the franchise tag? It just feels like this mess could have been avoided somehow. And it could get even uglier as we go on. Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, the franchise tag is the average of the top five at the position. And so when you add Nick Bosa to the mix, that would make the edge rusher, defensive end, whatever you want to call it, number at over $27 million. And then that doesn't even factor in the fact that Michael Parsons, he's got one year left on his deal. So you know the Cowboys are going to give him a new deal at the end of this season. And so the number is going to continue to go up. And as you said, if he hit one of those numbers, like you said, 15 to me is the magic number. But if he goes over 15, I mean, I, I don't know what you do at that point. If you're Carolina, you really messed yourself up because if he goes over that number, he could really act a donkey and just say, hey, I'm just going <laughs> to sit out here and I'm going to wait because somebody else will pay me what you won't pay me. So just trade me so that I can get a new contract. And I think that's the risk that you run. And everybody keeps trying to say, oh, he's not Bosa. We know that. We and, he's know not gonna that. Get, and he's not going to get Bosa money, that's what I'm by saying. the way. He's not going to get that. But it's all about where you fall in. And as we said, when the top dog sets the market, 
to me, 30 to 34 when you talk about potential Brian Burns salary as opposed to Nick Bosa, that demonstrates enough of a gap between the two for me, $4 million. That tells me that Nick Bosa is that much better than you by the pay difference. But still, $30 million is something that's on the table for him. And if Carolina won't pay it to him, somebody else will. Yeah, I I think there will be. Brian Burns has a little bit of say in if he wants to. So does he want to go to a team that's willing to pay for how good he can be as a losing squad? For instance, you went over some of the teams with a lot of space, and there were a lot of teams that weren't very good. Do you want to make as much money as possible, which he very well could choose to do? All right, so Houston will pay for it, but they're not very good right now. And they're probably not going to be very good for a couple of years, right? There's still some baking to be done. <laughs> Houston and some of these other teams, maybe in Indianapolis, I don't know, right? I forget some of the teams that you mentioned, but they weren't very good when we got through that list mm-hmm. a while back. It, there is an increasing chance, though, that Burns could go to a different team. I They don't have him locked in yet. And if Scott Fitter and Samir Suleiman, the capologist over there with Carolina, and apparently Suleiman is, you know, rumored to be a hard negotiator. So if this thing gets as ugly as it has potential to do, then maybe Burns does play for another team. And at that point, Panthers fans would have a right to be pretty angry because you could have had Burns go to a different squad on a different contract and you could have gotten two first rounders in a second. So, okay, let's say they trade Brian Burns and they're able to recoup a couple of those assets, then it'll minimize the damage that could have been caused having not, you know, right? When you when you don't trade him the first time, you don't trade him for a couple first round picks in a second, then how much can you make up on this potential trade when I guess he's going to make more money, right? Because the market continues to go up. Carolina Panthers fans will still pre- be pretty angry if that's what it comes to. And then talk about edge rusher. As much as Justin Houston will help this year, as much as Derek Brown helps, Derek Brown is not going to ever get or have the potential to get 15 sacks, hell, even 12 that Brian Burns got last year. That's when it becomes a problem. And when you look at those numbers, it's just going to be the fact of, no, you can't go out even if you get first-round picks back. If Burns has a huge season over 15 sacks, you can't just go out in the draft and just find a guy that can do that. If that was the case, they wouldn't be so coveted when you talk about pass rushes. So I think that uh, Carolina has a big decision to make here, but you have a rookie quarterback, so it's not like you're paying a ton of guys a ton of money. This should be a deal that should be done already. I don't know what's taking them so long. And it's just ridiculous that Brian Burns does not have a contract. I'm surprised. Everybody's surprised. You heard it. Graziano, Jeremy Fowler, they used those words. Joe Person, I think, is a little surprised that it's gotten to this point as well, hearing him a couple times on these airwaves. Let's go to the text line, 704-570-9610. So we have different schools of thought here, right? Revan Urbatius. Saying, most fans don't want to pay him from what I've gathered on here. I think it's 50-50. For the most part, like at least from what I see, different interpretations. But I see some people that want to pay him. You know, Brian. Yeah, I I definitely see some. Brian is saying Burns has been consistently the most talented and impactful player on this team. Pay him now. Uh, You do have Boogie saying Boogie here. Pay the man. Uh, There are a couple people, you know, Reverend Herbaceous was saying he's overrated. Um, So it's a little 50-50 as far as what people want to do with Brian Burns. I'll say this, too. How much do you have to bring in the people part of this? If Brian Burns is out there practicing, because he was for the most part. There was a few that he missed. But if he's out there practicing, 
He's not sitting out like Nick Bosa was threatening to do. He didn't sit out the first game like Chris Jones did. He's not sitting out at all. He told you. He's going to play the rest of the year, and I believe him. So if he continues to give you his time, and he's not really holding the Panthers' feet to the fire at this point by missing any time or anything like that, then how much do you view the Panthers needing to do right by him? And even if it's for a cynical approach of saying Carolina could show this, hey, we we negotiated in good faith with Brian Burns and we paid him because he was doing the right stuff. We'll do, do that to you as well, future free agent that we covet to bring on this roster. That's a great point that you bring up. Other players are going to look at this and say, man, are they going to take care of me? Because when you look at their payroll in terms of cap hit, they aren't paying anybody. Shaq makes 14. Taylor Moten makes 13. Well, and Shaq and 14 is a good. 16. So I'm just saying, but as far as just having a lot of big money players on the team, so that's the thing that gets me. I just don't understand why this deal isn't done. And the thing that kills me, too, about these teams is, did you not know this was coming? Like, how did you not know Brian Burns? That's what it comes down to. That's everybody. what I'm saying. That, too, once Bosa's deal's done, you guys figure it out. Get the deal done. Like, what is the holdup? Yeah, the fact that both sides needing a cooling off period, as yeah. Jeremy Fowler puts it, I just don't know why. Why does Carolina need to Carolina's cool off? Carolina's being cheap. That's what it is. They're being cheap. They're trying to get by with that twenty-three to twenty-five, and Burns is like, hell no. I get why Burns is is a little frustrated. I totally get that. <laughs> I know why he needs a cooling off period. But, yeah, but that's Car- what it is. They're trying to be cheap. Yeah, just trade them, right? Yeah. Unless unless you just were willing to deal with all of this. I mean, I guess they could have foreseen. All right, look, we're not going to give them over twenty-five million. But we know it's going to be an ugly process. Eventually, we'll bring him down to what we want. Maybe this is their line of thinking. Mm-hmm. And he'll come down closer to what we want. And we'll not take on these first round or second round picks that are being offered to us. The multitude of assets, which it was a lot. And a lot of people thought they should have traded him. And they decided not to. Maybe they're like, all right, it's going to be an ugly contract negotiation and we'll just figure it out. I Did Burns just come in asking for some crazy amount of money that they never expected? That's what I can't get past. Because if you and I could both see it, if it both if it makes sense for us, mm-hmm. yeah, Burns was always going to ask for something close to this level. You, you got to know that Nick Bosa is about to go through this contract negotiation. That That's the part that's tough for all of us, I think, especially for me to come to grips with. It's the fact that, we knew all of this was coming. Me, sports radio host, not dealing with all the money stuff that y'all are over at Bank of America Stadium. We could see this coming. And yet we're still here. It's very hard to make sense And you sense got a all. capologist in-house, Scott Fitterer, the GM. He knew Nick Bosa was a free agent. You don't think he knew or did he not know what Nick Bosa was going to get? He had to know he was going to be in the neighborhood of 33 to 35. So you had to project and say, okay, this is what Bosa is going to get. This is probably what Brian's going to ask for. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, and the text line can do this too at 704-570-9610. Is this the first big-time contract negotiation that we've had? Like big, big contract negotiation that we've had in the last few seasons? It's the first one I can think of. Yeah, McCaffrey was handed a big old contract, but that was still Herney. So Marty Herney was yeah. still doing that. So, Although, but, so you're talking just under Fitterer. Yeah, One that got guess, contentious. Like, I think of, are you saying like of anybody? you saying recent memory? Yeah, I guess within the Fitterer yeah, era. Yeah, they got okay. contentious. Yeah, because Marty Herney gave Chris McCaffrey. But that wasn't even contentious. They were like, here, take it. Yeah. I mean, they got they got that contract handed out real quickly, like right now. And eventually it was bad with the whole running back conversation. But this one seems like. Well, well the- yeah, and because they haven't had a quarterback. So they haven't had, the, you know, like that's been the thing when you've had, you know, mid QBs, you don't got to overpay them. Yeah. 
So, which is more of an argument here, and I know you're iffy on doing the whole Burns north close to thirty, but that's another point for people wanting to pay Burns. It's that you have the rookie QB on the rookie contract right yeah. now. Yeah, oh, I mean, like, like the thing is, like with Bosa getting thirty, well, he got thirty four, right, Wes? Yeah. We all know Mike is going to get more than he is. Like if you get him at twenty eight, you're still. You're still not, I mean, you're technically still overpaying because he's not $28 million. Like, like, like the production doesn't warrant that. But you're still way below the threshold. Like, if you wait till after Parsons gets paid, oh, you're screwed. Because you're going to have to at least probably give him at least, at least bow some money, bare minimum. So, if we put a bow on this, for me, there still is that possibility that Burns and his representatives just were not moving off of their spot. Right. We do have to give that some credence. It's harder for me to believe that if Carolina was staying steady at 25, if that was the case. But we don't know for sure if Burns was staying strong at 30 or nothing. Yeah, man. I mean, Carolina, you think that maybe Burns and his party would have agreed to something just a mill or two below that 30 threshold. And if it's all about getting paid more than the next guy, because we do get a little too lost in numbers. The reason that these numbers matter, it's because it represents them being the second best edge rusher or being paid more than the next guy. It's not about real money. If these guys were, you know, getting if, if Nick Bosa was getting paid twenty four million and it was the richest contract, then Brian Burns would be paid twenty, right? So if you still give him twenty nine and he's tied for second best edge rusher money, hell, at that point maybe Burns and his party's being a little unreasonable, right? Like mm-hmm. if hey, we're here. Second best edge rusher. This is fair. Take it or we're going to have this thing go into the offseason. And if Burns holds steady, okay, I get where Carolina's coming from to a certain extent. But if you're sitting down there at 25, nah, man, you got to start coming up. And that's the problem that we're trying to figure out. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier today on the Mag, I got injured at Harris Teeter yesterday. That's how the season's going right now. I was bleeding all over the place. How did you cut your... You were explaining huh? this to me, but I didn't get, catch the full story. How did you cut your finger at Harris Teeter? The baskets got... I'm a basket guy. I'm not a okay. cart man. The, the baskets got stuck, and I'm, I'm trying to... I was trying to pull, and that when I pulled, that my finger got... And there was, like, blood on the floor, oh, Teeter? Yeah, yeah. I just, and I didn't know what to do, so I just walked out. I bled and walked out. Oh. I got no groceries. <laughs> <laughs> I took you a walk. Aborted the trip. I took a walk of shame on the way out, and the woman on the way out, uh, a customer, <laughs> she saw me holding my finger, and she said, "Oh no." Yep. If you're keeping track at home, Mac, I have nearly passed out at training camp. 
I've cut my. This is my ninth or tenth injury of 2023. God, you seriously? We thought uh, Panthers had bad injury luck. Look yeah. at you. I wonder what our next guest thinks, though, Bone, of you not just. Oh, he respects you know, me. He respects me too much to mock. Not me. just you know uh, dealing with the injury and, and getting your grocery shopping done anyway and battling through. Well, I left. He, I didn't get anything. He is the great Musin Muhammad, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think he'd give up on the grocery shopping uh, mission. Moose, what's going on, brother? How you doing? T-bone, you gotta ice up, son. You gotta oh, I've got up. Bruce, I've got plenty of that. I've got yeah, no, I've I've got every ice pack. No, I got heating pads. I've got ice packs. I've got band aids. No, I'm uh, I'm wearing down, Moose. You know how it is. We, oh, we're older yeah, athletes, Moose, right? Before, you know, back in the day, before every game, you know, I would take time in the locker room. You know, go in early. You know, you know, take care of the body treatments. But then you got to tape the fingers up. You know, if you're going to go grabbing the carts and the baskets, you know, T-Bone, you got to tape those fingers up, man. Get your wrist taped up. Get your fingers taped. You might need to get those ankles taped up, too. You know? Yeah. No, see, you know, see I, Bruce, this is why there you're you a friend. Go. I appreciate the You're not mocking me like my guy over here. And My first thing, when I get injured now, my first thing I say is I'm not going to tell Mac about this. <laughs> I noticed you didn't want to give me a lot of details. I had no, to pry. I, I, Mac wanted me to chop it off like I'm running wide. Keep chopping. <laughs> now, that, that would have been cool, baby. I would have liked that Excuse one. Excuse me, man. I'm about to Customer service. Can I have a knife? I've got to chop my pinky off. I've got oh, hot pockets. Oh, my goodness. And you could have iced it with a frozen pizza, you know? Uh, <laughs> all right. Anyway, Moose, let's try to get focused here as we laugh at T-Bone's expense. This Now I'm snorting. I'm laughing so hard. All right. This J.C. Horn injury situation, man, you can relate to this yeah. and, and and the player perspective. Um, what, what I'm sure you feel for him. What do you think about it? And when fans, like, you know what, what fans do. Oh, he's injury prone, man. We can't count on him. His career is done like how are we supposed to view what's going on with jc man how you feel about this yeah you know i'll I tell you i had that same injury my, my rookie rookie year uh tore my hamstring never got it fixed but um i wind up playing with it and, and doing some other things to rehab and get it back to uh close to 100 percent and, and was able to play you know uh, 14 years with uh with that injury and uh, you know, and then throughout the course of my career, I can recall I had you know two major surgeries. I was really blessed, right? Yeah. I, I I I tore uh, broke my wrist in my second year, so I tore my hamstring my first year. I broke my wrist in my second year, but all I came back from to play, uh, you know, during the course of those seasons. Um, the, the only other uh, major surgery I had was during the off season in my third year, where I had some bone chips removed from my elbow, and then. So, you know, take those first three years of kind of getting beat up and, you know, uh, you know bouncing around a little bit, trying to figure yourself out because your body's changing once you get out of college. Um, you know, you're doing, you know, uh, you're, you're being an athlete, you know, uh, full-time and, and working out and doing all those different things, but your nutrition and everything else has to change. Your workout regimen has to change. you got to figure yourself out. Um, and for most guys, it takes a couple of years. Some guys, it doesn't. But for most guys, it takes, you know, one or two years, maybe three years to really figure out your body, your nutrition, you know, your your regimen around um, stretching and so forth. And so I'm not ready to write J.C. Horn off. I mean, I think he's an outstanding player, um, you know, comes from a great pedigree. His father, Joe, was, you know, in my, in my draft class back in 1996 yeah. and had a hell of a career as a wide receiver. And so I think the kid um, has a lot of upside here, but I think he's got to figure it out. I mean, there's. Uh, things that he needs to do, um, you know, within his body, within his routine, to figure out how he can stay healthy for, uh, you know, for a full season, and then, you know, he'll he'll be able to replicate that year after year after year. So, you know, it's, it's bad luck, it's tough breaks, 
But I think it's something that, that he should be able to bounce back from. This sounds like fleshy, you know, types of injuries. And, and you know, Thomas Davis, you guys are talking about him. You know, those are the tough ones to come back from. These hamstrings and stuff like that are things that I think J.C. should be able to bounce back from. Yeah, That just sums up our show beautifully right there. I'm talking about leaving Harris Teeter injured. Moose mentions, yeah, I played 14 years with one injury. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> man. Come on. You be tougher. Toughen up, Bones. Yeah, I'm, I'm inspired right now, Moose. And, you know, injuries are injuries are bad no matter when they are, but the timing that it happens for the Panthers, already 0-1, they want to get off to a good start with this regime. But they're going to face Moose a gauntlet of wideouts in New Orleans, Seattle, Minnesota, Detroit, Miami. For a team that we wanted to see get off the ground here, the timing is really bad here as well, right? It hurts, you know. And is there ever a good time? I mean, I never yeah. thought there was a good time to have an injury. You know, even sure. if it's off season and you're in the spring or, you know, it, it doesn't matter, right? There's no great time for an injury, but um, that attrition is a part of the game. And we all have to account for it. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, everybody's sitting here you know, uh, talking about Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, can you imagine how the Jets feel right now? Um, so, you know, th- th- those things happen. Um, you never know who it's going to be every year. Uh, there's a big name. There's Travis Kelsey one year. There's I mean, it's all different kinds of guys and, um, you know, at different levels to get hurt. And uh, next man has to step up. And I think that's where we got to turn to uh, Fitterer and Dan Morgan and these guys and making sure that we're getting the depth at the positions and we're getting those quality backups and guys can come in and at least fill the gap until um, our, our stars come back. Yeah, did bring in Sam Webb, signed him off the uh, practice squad, a corner uh, from the Raiders practice squad. So we'll see how he works his way in. Moose and Muhammad with us, telling Bone to toughen up at the grocery store and uh, sharing some interesting stuff about the early injuries that he dealt with, uh, you know, like JC has. Uh, Moose, what did you think of Bryce's first performance uh obviously it sounds like jesse bates pulled a you know went you know pulled a fast one on him a couple of times and and really made some smart plays and bryce probably learned from it but what did you think in general of bryce's day the other day yeah i I think he's got a lot of upside and i'm looking forward to watching him mature in the offense um you know i'm watching i'm looking forward to, to seeing these guys gain some camaraderie and i think you know, I, I was listening to your interview with, with uh, Mike. Was it Michael Lombardi yeah, before yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. earlier? Earlier that I already brought some great points up. Like, what's our identity? I'm still trying to figure that out. I remember back when Foxy came in. You know, we coming off a really tough year. Foxy came in, uh, took us two years to develop a Super Bowl identity, but uh, but we did just that. And, and um, he you know, laid out a plan to the whole team that hey, you know, he pulled me in and and he said. <laughs> You know, we're not going to throw the ball like we did before. You know, we're going to be a run-first team, you know, um, and, you know, we're going to have, a, you know, a tough offensive line, and we're going to be physical, and then we're going to hit big plays down the field. And we had Dan Henning, you know, calling those plays for, you know, me and Smitty and, and, and obviously, you know, the whole the whole crew there. But, um, but we were a run-first team. So I'm still trying to figure out, you know, what kind of team do we have here, right? Um, you know, is a Schubert Hubbard, and he's going to be the pop, round and pound, and then we're going to hit big plays over the top. You know, what, what's going to happen? Adam Thielen is, you know, a solid receiver, right? Um, you got yeah. Mingo out there. You, you know, um, you've got a number of guys that, you know, Schnault and, and a couple of guys, um, you know, Terrence Marshall, that, and these guys that can, can make plays. But, but how do you put the pieces of the puzzle together yeah. to where there's a coordination and everybody kind of knows that, 
um, here's my strengths, here's my weaknesses, and, and, and here's how we win football games, right? The combination of putting these players on the field, seeing what kind of uh, strengths they have, how to take advantage of those things, what plays they do well, which ones they don't. Like, those are the things you got to put all together. And so I'm anxious myself to see, like, what is our identity? I still am scratching my head a little bit to see what roles each one of these guys. Like, everybody knew Smitty was going deep. I'm going across the middle run slants. I'm going to cut, uh, you know, catch some of these tough balls, and Smitty's going to be, you know, the home run hitter when we need it. Um, so what are the roles of these guys? And I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Great point. Great point. By the way, Moose, I need to know, after Fox told you that, hey, we're not going to throw the ball like the previous <laughs> regime, we're going to run it, did you leave? Hey, were Moose, you, get in. Moose, were, get in here. Were you mumbling under your breath walking out of that meeting? <laughs> I, I definitely was mumbling something, you know. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that wasn't, it wasn't a fun conversation, you know, with your head coach, new head coach, brings you into his office say, look, guy, we, we're not throwing the ball a hundred sometimes to anybody here. You know, you, you could just cancel Christmas on that. It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Not the thing the receiver wants to hear. Hey, got y'all to a Super Bowl. It definitely didn't yeah, work. If I'm, uh, if I'm Foxy, I'm, I'm sending a, a handwritten letter to Smitty to say that. That will not be, that'll not be in a, in a meeting where he can actually, uh, he can see me in that meeting. Moose, we talk a lot about Bryce Young as a rookie quarterback and how rookie quarterbacks, the adjustments they have to make when they get to the pro level you mentioned mingo in passing there a moment ago for a rookie wide receiver out of college what's the biggest adjustment that a guy like mingo has to deal with you know i i would say the speed and pace of the game the physicality of the game those are those are things that jump out i mean understanding the offense right because when you come in i mean the first challenge is okay you got to learn a brand new playbook and all the different nuances and and um, and, and what it takes to be successful at, at that level, right? And, um, you know, a lot of times they're still trying to figure out what position they want to put you at. So you've got to learn probably more than one position, which, you know, in, in college you may have only had to learn one position. So, um, you know, understanding how to study, um, how to look at film, and then learning your body. So, I mean, that's a lot. I mean, I hear you say one thing, but I think, you know, it, it really is that mental adjustment and also physical adjustment um, that is, you know, sometimes not figured out very easily, you know, um, and, and why your body is changing and all these other things are changing and you're developing into kind of your grown man mode. Um, you know, you, you've got to take a step back and, and, and make sure that you're absorbing everything the right way. I mean, those uh, those playbooks can be thick and some of these offensive coordinators can be real creative and uh, and, and sometimes, you know, the, the um, desire to never be in a bad play or never be wrong means you've got a bunch of different adjustments to learn on a play. Um, and so, you know, really getting in that playbook is one of the things I would say. You, I mean, that's first things first, because you can't play fast unless you know what you're doing out there. Yeah, Great perspective from Moose on a lot of things going on with the Panthers and on Bone needing yeah. to suck it up at the grocery store yeah. next time, baby. Moose, it was awesome talking I to you. Eat, I didn't eat dinner last night because of this whole day. First of all, I didn't have any food left, and I was bleeding for an hour and a half. Well, that's because you guys got weigh-ins. You know, every every uh, week you got to weigh-in, you know, T-Bone. So we got to make sure that you uh, – 
you know, you, you, you got to get your diet right, buddy. Yeah, there you go. Come on, Bo. Well, clearly, I was going to the, uh, the what do they call it, the, uh, the, uh, the salad bar area yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. All, all healthy foods you were trying to buy. All right, Moose, be good. Thank you so much, Thanks, man. Moose. All right. All right, guys. Take care. There you go. Moose had a little fun with Bone with his uh, no, finger injury at the grocery store. Moose heard me talking about being injured, then rattled off. 23 things he played through in his yes. career. Not just one time. Yeah, I hurt my hamstring. I played 14 years after that. Yep, yep, yep. Holy smoky. Slightly different type of individual bone when it comes to uh, battling. Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. Smoke and I were having a uh, spirited conversation about, what, the triple option and VMI football, right? During the break? Yes. Um, VMI and NC State this Saturday on the CW, correct? Yes, prime time. Our boy Tom Wormy on the call. Shout out Tom Wormy. I know he's he's an FNZ listener, Charlotte guy. We love Tom Wormy. Play-by-play guy for the CW. Long time on... What, Raycom and Bally's now and, you know, just whatever the regional network's been. Tom Wormy's on a lot of calls. He does a great job. He'll be on the call Saturday for NC State VMI. And that that somehow we winded our way into a conversation about the triple option and Smoke's dad apparently always lamenting that fewer and fewer teams run it. How many, like, who is still running the triple option in college football right now? We know Navy is. Army. Army is. I believe the Air Force. Pretty much all the academies. Service academies. Yes. Is, are there any non-service academies Still running the triple option. Well, my dad is having a great time at uh, Wofford's demise because whenever they lose, he's like, huh, that's what they get for not running that triple option. He saw Kennesaw State lost this weekend. Yeah. That's what Kennesaw State gets for not running that triple option. Well, I mean, again, let's bring in Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer, longtime sports columnist. He's with us every Thursday on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Anybody but the service academies running the triple option right now, Luke? That's a good question. You know, I don't know if the whole if there's anyone left in the Paul Johnson tree at uh, Georgia Southern. That would be the one, the one possibility because um, that's where he was before Georgia Tech. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I don't know. I got to tell you, I lived in in Colorado Springs for a couple years. I covered a little Air Force football. Um, I think it's awesome. Um, I've had the pleasure of sitting in Fisher DeBerry's office with D Dallas and having them explain the intricacies to me to the extent you can explain it to an idiot. Um, but it's, uh, I think it's amazing. I, I get why more people don't do it. Um, but to be honest, and this is a conversation I remember having in gosh, almost 20 years ago now when urban Meyer went to Florida, I mean, all he was doing with the read option stuff is basically running triple option concepts from the shotgun yep. and everyone was banging their heads on the wall. Cause they never thought of it before. And then everyone did it for the next 15 years. 
And all of a sudden, you know, we, we the college game changed where you had quarterbacks running out of the shotgun doing that, you know, read option, reading the end stuff. A lot of that is just, you know, triple option stuff without the fullback. Um, so, it's you know, everything old is always new again. Um, even, you know, the Wildcat was basically the single wing. We just couldn't call it the single wing because that was 1942. Uh, we had to call it the Wildcat and act like we invented something new. But uh, I love the triple option. I'm a triple option aficionado. Uh, I don't know that I would necessarily want, like, my team to run it. But, man, do I love watching it. Oh, I'm with you. I, I, and I'm sure, remember years ago when they had that, that singular ACC kickoff at Pinehurst? I'm sure you were there. Um I yeah, to, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I spent that was the one where I sat on the front porch with Paul Johnson, Wes Durham, Larry Fedora, and a few others chewing on cigars and listening to Paul Johnson talk about, as you put it, the intricacies of the triple option. One of the greatest nights of my life. It was it was truly amazing. Um, so anyway, speaking of college football, Carolina holds on to beat App State over the weekend on Saturday. I didn't quite go how I thought it would go, but I did think Carolina would win. How big a win, how important a win was that for the Tar Heels? And what did you think of Mac Brown's comments after the fact about playing App State? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was disappointed in Mac. This is the guy who invented the concept of the state championship. And now he'd rather play some other team. I mean, I think it's a testament to App's program and how far they've come that they basically reached the point that East Carolina reached under a number of different coaches where nobody in the state wanted to play him anymore. Um, in East Carolina's case, the legislature basically had to step in and, and basically say, no, no, you got to play East Carolina because there's so many legislators legislators down east who went there. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think we've seen the full unlimited power of the Carolina battle machine yet. I think you're seeing some understandable growing pains with Drake May in a new offense, but I also think he's looked really good. And you can make the argument he's actually been a more efficient quarterback than last year. He's had to run less. Um, obviously he's still throwing his body around, uh, as we saw, but, um, I, you know, I, I think that's a good win for UNC. I think it's a better win for UNC because it's against app state instead of some team nobody cares about. And I think, uh, those games matter more. And especially if we're going to have fewer interesting rivalries in conference games, which let's face it, you know, uh, playing Minnesota this week is, has all the zing that playing Cal or SMU is going to have in three years. Um, I think you owe it to your fans to play non-conference opponents that they care about, even if it means you risk losing, even if it means you risk getting embarrassed. And quite frankly, if you're UNC and you're scared to play out state, you're in the wrong position. And I don't, I'm not saying they're scared, but a school like UNC shouldn't hesitate from playing App State or ECU or Charlotte um, or any of those schools. Um, that should just be what you do, especially if you're going to position yourself as the flagship to go back to a different in-state debate. Um, you should be willing to play App State. You should be willing to play ECU. You should be willing to play Charlotte. Uh, you should be willing to play, you know, the your guarantee games against whoever, Western or, you know, even the in-state private school. So, like Elon, which which Wake has done this year. So, um, I'm a big fan of that. I think the game is better in the state when App State and ECU are good and challenging the ACC teams. Um, I just think that's, that's true. It's like the ACC is better when Wake Forest and Virginia are good at basketball. You need that balance. And... Um, I'm disappointed that UNC seems to be going in another direction. Luke, I have a listener named Roger here in Charlotte who's apparently been documenting every slight that I've sent in the direction of Notre Dame for years. And he just sent me a, an update a few minutes back and said that all I've ever done is trash Notre Dame um, and that uh, they've now played eight, 29 games against the ACC and they are 29-0 and 0, and he is demanding that I say that the ACC is Notre Dame's B-word. Um, but, hey, does he? Did he forget about when Notre Dame lost to Clemson in Charlotte? 
Uh, he's probably only counting regular season games. Well, I would he didn't imagine. say that, did he? he no, he didn't. Twenty nine and zero. Yeah, that's what he said. I believe it's twenty nine and two over that time span. If you count, yeah. All games. Okay, there you go. So, so maybe maybe tell Roger that. Roger, it sounds like Roger fits right in over there, right? He wants to tell everybody what to do without actually being a full <laughs> member of the conversation. That's what I'm talking about, Luke. That's why I love you. But no, I mean, get me wild up. That's get what I'm saying. But it, but in all seriousness, what did we learn from Notre Dame and NC State? I mean, we learned that Notre Dame's good. We learned that all the the fears that everyone had about NC State would the offensive line be as good as last year? Uh, that you know, would people step up in the skilled positions um, and make that you know a, a legend new offense uh, uh, function? And the answer is no. There were a lot of drops. The protection wasn't great. Um, it was just Notre Dame. Look, Notre Dame's really good. I think we learned that. Um, I mean, we, we can make fun of Notre Dame all they want, all we want, but it, it's a tremendous football program and. The, the fact that they've, they've integrated Sam Hartman into that offense, um, even without Michael Mayer, who was such a weapon, I don't think he got credit for being over the course of his career. I mean, he changed defenses um, by, because he was able to do so many things, although I guess UNC is good proof of that last year. Anyway, I, you know, that Notre Dame's really good. Their defense is pretty good. The coverage was incredible. But NC State's receivers never got any separation. When they did, they dropped the ball. So, I mean, I, you know, Brandon Armstrong was pretty hard on himself afterwards. I just don't know who he's, throw, who he's supposed to throw the ball to. You know, their wide receivers just aren't very good right now. They may get better. Um, they may adjust more to this new offense, but they're not making plays. Um, they made one play. Cam Lassane made a nice nice play on a 50-50 ball that for a long game. But overall, there were too many drops, not enough open receivers, some of that scheme, some of that's talent. And right now, NC State's got to find some guys who can catch the ball that there's a kid named Juice Marine who I barely heard of who, get, who got in when Porter Rooks had two early drops and played really well. So, you know, maybe some guys step up and, you know, seize the opportunity and, and become key players. But State's got to get that figured out. I thought the defense was fine. They gave up several big plays, very uncharacteristic for an NC State defense, um, which very much was, was in the break-but-don't-bend mold. Um, and one of those big plays came after a two-hour ring delay, and they went out, and it was right after NC State punted in Notre Dame territory. There's a two-hour rain delay. They come back. They give up an 80-yard touchdown run. Mentally speaking, that's like a triple whammy, right? Your coach doesn't trust the offense. Uh, he, he, he punts it. Ball goes in the end zone. That sucks. And then you have a two-hour rain delay. That really sucks. That's really hard to come back from. So, like, I'm willing to give them a pass on the big plays because of, there are a number of situations like that. But the offense is the issue. they got to get that six. Defense, I think, is going to be fine. We learned that Notre Dame is good, and State's got a lot of work to do. Um, I want to put some some spotlight on North Carolina Central going to the Rose Bowl to face UCLA this upcoming weekend. You've written a piece about this. Um, it's a great story. It's a fun game. It's a tremendous opportunity for the North Carolina Central football program. Just for the folks out there that might not have even known that game was going on this weekend. Though I did have one listener text me yesterday to predict that or predict that NC Central gets the upset. Uh, what's the coolest part about this matchup coming up this weekend? I mean, there's, there's a lot that's cool about it. I think the coolest part is I think NC Central's got a chance. I mean, I don't. I think they look at UCLA as a team that's that's got more talent, much better, obviously, on the offensive and defensive lines. That's going to be an issue. But these are the last guys to beat Deion Sanders and Travis Hunter and the whole Sanders family. Um, nobody else has beaten them last year at Jackson State or this year at Colorado, so they're not going to be intimidated. They won the celebration last year in Atlanta in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The stage is not going to phase them. They got a ton of confidence, and they've got NFL prospects at quarterback, running back, and in the in the defensive backfield. I mean, there were I think sixteen or seventeen NFL scouts who came through their their preseason practices in August to look at those players. Those are you know that's, I, I would guess that's probably more than what through Virginia. Um, you know, I mean, uh, just in terms of talent, there is some on that NC Central team. If 
they can just sort of hold their own um, on the line of scrimmage. I think Central's got a chance. Now, there's so many other cool things about this game. North Carolina's, or I'm sorry, uh, UCLA's athletic director is from Fayetteville, played basketball at UNC Wilmington, was the athletic director at Boston College. His dad went to A&T. His mom, who died in 2020, went to Central. His grandmother went to Central. So this is a huge thing for him to bring a big part of his background, a tribute to his late mother, um, to bring Central in, and, and and they're paying to bring the band out. Like, they want the whole deal. Band's going to play at halftime. Alabama State did last year. Um, it's going to be a really cool experience for everyone. Um, it's a big lift for NC Central. you got to fly across the country. they got some cool stuff planned for tomorrow that I'm not allowed to talk about because the players don't know yet. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen that's very cool. Um, but they got to go out and play a football game, too. And the state players, to their, or Central players, to their credit, uh, you know, they they were not, they were excited about it, but they also were very much treating it as a business trip and having something to prove. Um, whether that will be able to make up for the sort of size gap and talent gap, I don't know, but I do know they're not going in there uh, just happy to be there. They they feel like they, they're ready for the atmosphere, they're ready for the opposition, they want to give it a shot. So I think all of that's really cool. Um, NC Central's probably right now uh, the, the best program in the state, relatively speaking because they've dominated the MEAC. Um, they've been building for a couple of years. They've got an incredible quarterback in Davius Richards. I mean, they've got a lot going for them right now. Um, and they beat a uh, and and Winston-Salem State. So as far as they're concerned, whatever happens the rest of the season, they've at least got that in their pocket. Those are two huge rivalry games, even if one's a, a Division II team. That's still a traditional rivalry. So... Um, they got nothing to lose at UCLA. I think they're going to go out there and give it a shot. With injuries mounting here in Charlotte, should Frank Reich run the triple option Monday night against the Saints? Absolutely, but you know, this is you need you need to bring Cam Newton back to do it. Right, obviously. You think there's there's time? Obviously. There's time, right? Like they can get him signed by tomorrow, get him up to speed. Triple option Monday. I mean, that's Boom. the only thing. It's the only thing we haven't had this season, isn't it? Like the whole Cam Newton <laughs> it, coming back. Isn't like, this a ridiculous start to the season? It feels like a thousand we, things have happened since Sunday, and none of them good. We've hit everything else on the bingo card except uh, celebration penalty wiping out a touchdown and is Cam Newton coming back. I mean, that's really, if you get either one of those, I think you get a free sub at this point. Mm, well done. Luke DeCock, always enjoy this discourse every week. We'll do it again seven days. Be good. All right. See you, mate. Tune into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan.